Welcome everyone, my name is Tim Harris, pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. I haven't been in the pulpit in three weeks. Uh, it, it feels funny, it feels great. Uh, I, I love you guys so much on video in the overflow. God bless you guys. Thank you for worshiping with us today in Perry, Oklahoma and in anywhere else where you join us by way of video. We welcome you today. God bless you. Open your Bibles, all of us together, to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. What the rest of the world calls the Christmas season, uh, the church calls Advent. Advent. Christmas itself is one day celebrated on December 25th. Um, but the season leading up to Christmas, uh, Christians call Advent, and the word Advent means coming. Yeah, the word Advent means coming. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus. Now remember that, that for centuries, all through Scripture, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus was foretold by prophets and anticipated by God's people, and God kept his promise and sent his son Jesus into the world, born of a virgin, born in a manger. You, you, you know that story. The important thing about Advent, though, is not to separate that first coming, the first promise and fulfillment of his coming to the second coming. And, and this is one of the themes of Advent that we often neglect and overlook, that the same God who promised to send us on the first time, understand, promises to come again. Jesus is coming again, this time not silently, not in a manger, not, not born as, as, as a baby, but, but the next time he comes, he will come in glory. Every eye shall see him, scripture says, and he will come to judge and make right everything wrong in the world. The second coming is just as certain as the first coming, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Not to be confused with the way the world talks about the end of the world, if you're following the news or if you happen to follow the Mayan calendar, then you know that the world ends when? Friday. Yeah, Friday. So if you're watching this by video or listening online and it's sometime past December 21st, call us and let us know how that went. Uh, uh, yeah, some people think the world is going to end this coming Friday. Isn't that amazing? The, the ancient Mayan calendar, now the Mayans were, were, were South Americans. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, when that priest uh, pulls the beating heart, rips it out of that guy's chest and throws it in the fire, those are the Mayans. We're talking about those people. And they really did that. They, they actually did that. They followed a whole pantheon of, of nature gods, and they believed that those gods were, were, were thirsty for human blood. And so they practiced human sacrifice, and they meticulously marked days. But as it turns out, the last day they scheduled is this coming Friday, December 21st, 2012. Their calendar ended this Friday. So a lot of people take that to mean that the world ends Friday. So if you haven't gotten my Christmas present yet and you're following the Mayan calendar, you can forget all about it. World ends Friday. It's so amazing to me that people will pay attention to stuff like that. Honestly, it completely bewilders me that people will actually pay more attention to the Mayans on matters of the end of the world. I really don't understand it. Let me just say it very, very clearly. You're foolish. Foolish to pay attention to something like the Mayan calendar to figure out when the world ends. Foolish. But also foolish not to pay attention to what Jesus says about when the world ends. You understand? Do you possibly for a moment think that the ancient Mayans who ripped the beating heart out of a man's chest and sacrificed him to the gods, do you really think that they somehow knew more about the end of the world 
than God revealed to the writers of the New Testament? Do you really believe they know more than Jesus? Uh, honestly, Luke chapter 21, let's look. If you want to know about the end of the world, if you want to know about when Jesus is coming again, you pay attention to Jesus. You pay attention to Jesus. And that's what we're going to do today. Luke chapter 21. We were in this passage a few weeks ago, if, if, if you follow our sermons. We were talking about the, the widow who gave all of, her, uh, all of her money at the temple. Do you remember that? The, that she gave her single two coins and, and, and Jesus observed that and blessed her and said that she's given more than everyone else. Understand, what we're going to read now, picking up in, in chapter 21, verse 5, it's, it's, it's on that same day. It's, the, it's what happens next after that widow gave her offering at the temple. The disciples and Jesus are there at the temple having a rather ordinary conversation. And this is where Jesus takes it. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Some of Jesus' disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. It was a gorgeous place. Understand, one of the wonders of the ancient world, this was a gorgeous place. And Jesus said, The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah or saying the time has come, but don't believe them. Go ahead and underline that. Don't believe them. Understand? Don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Go ahead and underline that. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Are you listening to this? Because this is Jesus here. Understand? Then he added, Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Underline that. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, they'll betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you're my followers, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills, and those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be the days of God's vengeance and the prophetic words of Scripture will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. 
They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand, look up, for your salvation is near. Wow, it's also crazy. In 1806, there was this chicken. She came to be known as the prophetic hen of Leeds. Leeds is a town in England. Uh, the prophetic, she's a prophet hen. You understand, a chicken, a prophet hen. Here's the thing. She started laying eggs. I mean, all chickens do that. All female chickens do that. Uh, She started laying eggs, and the eggs had words on them, and the words were, Christ is coming. A chicken started laying eggs. People, I don't make this stuff up. She started laying eggs that said, Christ is coming, and and people freaked out. I I mean, people went nuts. 1806. The farmer who had the chicken became somewhat famous because, I mean, not everybody has the prophet hen of leads. She laid chickens with words on them. Understand? And so people started coming from everywhere. And, and it was 1806, so it's not like it's on you know, 60 Minutes or Entertainment Tonight. But still, news traveled, and, and people began to be very interested. And, and honestly, people went sort of hysterical. I, I mean, they, they took this as a sign. I, I mean, if a chicken... Is, is dropping eggs, and the eggs all say Christ is coming soon, then understand you probably ought to pay attention to that, shouldn't you? I mean, isn't that something, a sign? I mean, how many chickens do that? It, it was the prophet hen of Leeds. Very, very famous hoax. And it was a hoax. You, you know that, right? It, it was a hoax. Turns out, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, that farmer was, you know, like, like buying eggs at, at Walmart, and he would take them home and write Christ is coming on them. And then he would reinsert those into the chicken, understand? This was no doubt very annoying to the chicken. (laughs) He was writing on the eggs and stuffing them in the chicken. And then she'd drop them and people go, what in the world is wrong with the world? What a sick farmer. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody do that? Because history is absolutely full of of, of those kinds of hoaxes. Why is it that some people really want to be the guy that that knows that the end is coming? They will sometimes lie, that they will cheat, they will publish book after book after book. I mean, there is just this instinct in some people to know and to be the one that knows. And, And sometimes, honestly, their heart is not necessarily in, in, intending to deceive people. Sometimes they, they think they figured something out. 
And there have been people all through history that, that read the Bible or, or look at something else and they feel like they've figured something out and, and, and they begin to preach and teach or, or maybe write books that explain what they've figured out and they believe that they've figured out when the end of everything is coming. And, and, and sometimes those people really do become very well known. Sometimes their books sell a lot of copies, and I'm telling you, often their hearts are not necessarily there to deceive or to perform some sort of hoax, but sometimes they are. Sometimes they know what they're doing. Sometimes they intend to deceive. I mean, if you're sticking eggs back up in the business end of a hen that say Christ is coming, you know what you're doing. And there seems to be this desire on some people's part to just continue perpetuating that kind of hysteria. There are teachers on and preachers on your television nearly every day who do this sort of thing. There are famous evangelists in my lifetime who put out book after book after book, and every book claims to know just one more secret about the coming of Christ. They seem to have pinned one more thing down. They know one more thing. They've connected one more dot, but they're wrong every time. You know, I think after a certain time, you can stop buying his book. He's wrong every time time. Every time there's a new war in Israel, there are preachers who write a new book. This is Armageddon. They're wrong every time. I don't understand this impulse, honestly. I don't understand this impulse to, to, to be so fascinated. I don't understand this impulse to, to, to try to do what Scripture says plainly you'll never be able to do. You will not know the day or time. Jesus says it plainly, you're not going to know I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Do you understand? The very picture of a thief in the night is, is that you don't know he's coming. If you know he's coming, he's not a thief, he's a guest. People insist on trying to do what Scripture makes very, very plain that, that you cannot do. You cannot know. You're not going to figure it out and write a book. The chickens in your barn aren't going to figure it out before the rest of the world. Do you understand and yet there are people who seem absolutely committed, committed to knowing and figuring it out and preaching that and publishing that and somehow keeping this hysteria in motion. I really don't understand that. I'm not sure I understand the instinct of so many people to fall for it over and over and over. And history is full of those stories too. People who fall for the, for the preachers, the teachers who claim to have a secret, who claim to know something that nobody else knows. People who've sold their houses and sold their farms and moved off and gone and waited, waited for the end of the world to come in a spaceship or for Jesus to come in a cloud. I mean, it's happened all through history, over and over. I really don't understand how people continue to fall for it because Jesus makes it rather perfectly clear. As a matter of fact, he says in bold type, don't believe those people. Don't believe them. They're going to come, they're going to preach, they're going to be wrong. Don't believe them, Jesus says. Why is Jesus' word not enough? Well, honestly, because people don't know what Jesus says. Jesus' word is not enough because people don't read their Bible. Even some of you, in the sound of my voice, you're listening to me read the Bible to you, but you don't read the Bible. I mean, just be honest, you don't read it. 
You really don't know what the Bible says about the end of the world. You really don't know. So you are a sitting duck for the next farmer who has a chicken who poops out an egg that says Christ is coming. You're going to fall for that because you don't know what Jesus says. You don't know what the Bible says. It's not that difficult to pick up and read, but nobody does that. People just simply will not look and see what the Bible actually says. Now, now honestly, the Bible tells us everything that we are intended to know about the end of the world. It's in the Bible. It's not in the Mayan calendar. It's not in any movie that Hollywood presents. It's not even in, in that entire set of books called Left Behind. Understand, the Bible gives us everything we need to know. If we were supposed to know more, then the Holy Spirit would have given us that. Everything that God intends for us to know is in his word. Read it. It's in his word. Now, honestly, though, God's word doesn't answer all of your questions. Mine neither. I wish that I could connect all of the dots and draw a calendar for you and tell you exactly how it's going to happen. I wish I could interpret all contemporary events, but honestly, Scripture doesn't give me that wisdom, and honestly, it's not giving anybody else that wisdom either. Everything that we can know is in God's Word. Everything. You're not going to know more than Jesus, and I'm not either, so let's take a look at what Jesus said. Now, what he says starts here in verse 5. He's with his disciples in the temple in Jerusalem back in their day. Now, you need to understand that that temple does not exist now. It was completely obliterated, exactly as Jesus said it would be. Now, this is the difficult part. I've explained to you before, we talked about how God, how Jesus sees things from all eternity. We're down here at street level. It's as if we're watching a parade, and we see it go by one thing at a time, one float at a time. This is how we experience the world in time, one event at a time. It's like a parade. But God, but Jesus sees the entire parade from above. He sees it all in one view. He sees the beginning and he sees the end. He sees it all. There's no part of history beginning to end, alpha to omega. There's no part of this that Jesus doesn't see. So in Scripture, when Jesus talks about the end of time, when Scripture explains to us how these things are going to happen, there's an interesting kind of kind of telescoping of, of time. In other words, some things that were far away actually sound closer, and some things that were closer can sound further away. Time is, is not necessarily a category that God spends a lot of time worrying about. It's all in eternity for him. So understand, when Jesus talks to the disciples on this particular day in Jerusalem, some of what he's predicting it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So when the disciples are, are remarking about the gorgeous temple, and it was gorgeous. It was literally a mountain, a mountain of white marble, almost completely covered in gold. Look it up. I mean, it's an historical building. Look it up. Google it. It was this mountain of white marble, one of the most amazing structures ever, ever built. And it was covered in gold, just covered in gold. Now, these disciples are, are, are redneck boys. They're, they're country fellows. They're in town for the holiday. They don't see this kind of thing very often. And they're just walking through the temple going, God. 
golly, look at all, look at all. I mean, that they just can't get over it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. And that's the conversation they're having. Look at this. Look at this. This is amazing. And Jesus says, the time is coming. Verse 6. The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now understand, Jesus is saying something very, very heavy with meaning there. He's talking at first about the Jerusalem temple because that's what they're talking about. Jesus says, this temple, everything you're looking at, it's going to be demolished. Not one stone will be left upon another. What he's about to say applies to the temple, but it also applies to the whole world. That's how you have to understand Jesus' view of history, Jesus' view of all of it. He sees it in one glance. So first, let's think about the Jerusalem temple. The disciples are so impressed with it, and Jesus says, you need to understand, This whole thing is going to be gone. Not one stone left upon another. Now you know that happened, right? That temple is gone. And it happened exactly as Jesus said it would happen. It happened in the year 70 AD. When Rome came in and completely destroyed Jerusalem. They completely demolished the Jerusalem temple. This this ancient wonder that they totally destroyed it. And when Jesus says not one stone's going to be left upon another, you need to understand that is literally what happened. Literally true. The Roman soldiers were so enraged, so angry, and so out of control that they set the entire building on fire. Now understand, marble doesn't burn, stone doesn't burn, but gold melts. So as the Roman soldiers tried to burn this temple, the, the smoke and the flames continued for over a month. And over a million of the Jewish people lost their lives. They murdered them, threw them in the temple, piled them on the altar, and burned their bodies. The temple burned for over a month. And and, and as it burned, the gold melted and ran between the stones. Read Josephus. He's an ancient historian. He's an eyewitness to this. The gold ran between the stones. So when it was all over and the Roman soldiers wanted to plunder, wanted to take the gold, they literally had to break the stones apart to scrape the gold out from between them. Not one stone was left upon another. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. It was going to happen in the future. It was future for them, but it's past for us. So understand, some of what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, it's it's all future for them, but some of it is past for us. We know that that temple was, was destroyed exactly like Jesus said it would be. But the principle here, what Jesus is saying, something about this still applies to us. The disciples look at everything around them, what they can see, this gorgeous temple, and they say, my goodness, it's so beautiful, it's wonderful. And Jesus says, you need to understand, none of this is going to last forever. None of this is going to last forever. If you want to learn what Jesus has to teach us about the end times, the very first thing Jesus really wants you to understand is nothing on earth is here permanently. None of this is going to last. None of it. I can remember being a kid listening to the old people talk about the coming of Jesus. And it it always bothered me when they talked about it. Because old people, when they talk, as you understand, and I am one now, When we talk about things, about the world coming to an end, lots of times what we just mean is we don't like nothing that's happening now. 
The world's going to end because I'm telling you, that rock music, I can't understand the words. I mean, a lot of times when older folks talk about the world, you can tell they don't like it much. They like the good old days. They like the way it used to be, but they don't like how it is now. But honestly, when I was young and I used to hear the old people talk, it would bother me because honestly, I still love the world. I didn't have any good old days to compare to. The days I was living was the best days I'd ever known. And something always kind of disturbed me and worried me when I would hear old people talking about the world ending. I just would be so frustrated and honestly, in some ways, really scared. It used to bother me so much when they would talk about all of this passing away because honestly, especially when you're young, you just love the world. You just love it. It's it's fascinating and it's all beautiful. I understand the longer we live, it loses its luster. But when you're young, especially when you're young, you, you just love it all. It's beautiful, it's fun, it's exciting, it all seems very, very new, but you've got to understand, and especially when you're young, you've got to understand that none of this lasts forever. It was never meant to. There is nothing in this earth, nothing on this planet that offers you permanency. It all passes away. Nothing lasts, not one thing. Not one thing is guaranteed. And this is what Jesus tries to drive home. The first thing with his disciples, that none of this is going to be around forever. It's all passing away. It's temporary. You've got to get this into your head. You've got to understand this. None of this lasts forever, and it was never intended to. You will not find security in this earth. You will not find anything that gives you that sense of permanence. It's just not here. It's all passing away. Now we look at things. The disciples looked at their temple, and they couldn't imagine a day when it would not stand. But honestly, the day came, sooner rather than later. We look at our great nation, we look at the United States, and we can't imagine a world without a United States. We understand there's not necessarily anything permanent about the United States. Nothing permanent about our democracy. Nothing at all that's guaranteed. Nothing. Nothing lasts forever down here. Nothing. So before you fall in love with it, before you give yourself to it, before you begin to anchor yourself to things in this earth, you've got to understand that none of it lasts. It's all going to pass away. All of it. The house you love, all of it. The family that you enjoy, all of them. You understand? There's nothing permanent here. It's all going to be gone. Now, when Jesus says that, the disciples naturally ask the first question that comes into their minds, which turns out to be the first question that pops into our mind. Verse 7, what's their question? When? When? Jesus has just dropped a bomb on them. We live in this kind of fog where we really can't fathom. We just can't fathom that the world's passing away. We can't fathom that. Now, honestly, there's a kind of tension involved. This past week that we've had, in in, in the last week, we've experienced the the school shooting in Connecticut. That kind of evil, that kind of depravity, there's something about that that makes all of us say, this world cannot continue like this forever. It cannot go on like this forever. 
Sometimes we do see signs of, of the way the world just sort of balances precariously on this edge, and we know it's going to fall off the edge sooner or later. We all know it can't go on like this forever. But at the same time, we can't wrap our heads around that. We can't wrap our heads around that. At the very same time, you say the world can't go on like this forever. You continue to live as if the world's going to go on like this forever. It's not. So Jesus drops this bomb in the middle of the disciples. He says, all of this is passing away. None of this lasts forever. It's going to be gone. And their question is, when? When? When will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? And Jesus replies, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and, and, and saying the time has come. But don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. These things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Okay, you've got to let this sink in. You've got to let this sink in. When the disciples say when, Jesus doesn't really answer their question. At least not in the way they wanted the answer to come. See, you and I want a date that we can put on our calendar. If you just tell us how long that this is going to last, we can plan accordingly. Jesus never, ever does that. He never gives us the day. He never gives us the time. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is on earth, he said that he himself didn't even know. So if Jesus didn't know, you're not going to figure it out. Understand? But beyond that, Jesus goes on to say, now there are going to be people who say it's the end, don't believe them. And you're going to see wars, and you're going to see insurrections, and you're going to see all kinds of horrible things. I mean, you're going to see the world go into hell in a handbasket, but that's not the end. That's not the end. And this is what Jesus says. You're going to see all kinds of horrible things, earthquakes and, and strange tides. It's not the end. It's not the end. And whenever somebody says it is, don't believe them. I mean, this is Jesus talking. My, my goodness, the world is full of people who go into hysteria, who think they know, and, and they begin to tell everybody else, and Jesus says, don't believe them. Every time there's another war in the world, the preachers start rewriting their books about the second coming. Jesus said, you're going to see all kinds of wars, all kinds of insurrections. That's not the end. That's not the end. Every time somebody fires a missile into Israel, understand it's not necessarily the end. They've been firing missiles into Israel since Jesus was saying these words. It's not necessarily the end. You see, our desire is to look at contemporary events and figure this out. We want to figure this out. And Jesus always steers us away from doing that. Your life is not to be a life of watching the news and calculating where we might be on a prophetic calendar. That's not what Jesus encourages ever. Jesus says that it's going to come like a thief. It's going to come like a thief in the night. But he won't be like a thief to you. That's what Jesus says. Won't be like a thief to you. That doesn't mean we know when he's coming. It just means we'll already be ready. Understand the difference? Jesus encourages us to live our lives ready and live our lives faithful, knowing that he's coming, knowing that he's coming soon. I don't know when, 
I don't know how. In the meantime, I'm going to work for him. I'm going to live my life with utter faithfulness and readiness, knowing he can come at any time, but also assuming that i got 20 churches to plan by the year 2020. You understand? We just continue to work. Here's the story of the soldier who came home after that first Gulf War. You know, lots of times the government doesn't publicize when troops move, when they're flying, or when they're traveling. So, so truly the war had ended, but families didn't necessarily know when their loved ones would come home. Read a cool story of a man who came home one morning. His family had no idea he was coming. He just walked up the sidewalk to his house, walked in the front door. He had been gone so long. He had girls and a wife, loved him more than anything. But when he walked in the door, they couldn't have known he was coming. When he walked in the door, there was already a sign that said, Welcome home, Daddy. And when he walked in the door early in the morning, all the girls ran out in their best Sunday dresses, and Mama came out looking like a queen. They had dressed up. There was a special breakfast on on the table. There was a party waiting for him. He kissed, he hugged, they celebrated, they cried, they laughed, and later he said, Honey, I don't understand. How did you know I was coming? She said, We had no idea you were coming today. No idea. But the moment we heard that the war was over, we knew you were on your way home, so we've just been ready every day. You understand? And that's the way Jesus tells us to live. You're not supposed to be hunkered down in front of Fox News with your Bible and a notebook trying to figure it out. You understand, you've been distracted from the mission if that's the way you're spending your life. There is a commission to go and tell the world that there is a Savior who loves them, who died for them, and who is coming again. We can't be so distracted by dates and times and places and news stories and contemporary events that we forget to tell people about the Savior. That's what he told us to do. Until he comes again, you just continue to work for him. You just continue to work. And you're going to see wars and earthquakes. You're going to see horrible people do horrible things. But it's not necessarily the end, Jesus says. These things are just going to happen. And he goes on. Verse 12. And even before all this occurs... There will be a time of great persecution. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you'll be dragged in the synagogues and prisons, and you'll stand trial before kings and governors because you're my followers. This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. One of the things I remember about being a kid in church when the preachers and the old folks would talk about the second coming is that they would read verses like this about persecution they used to say you know it's going to get really bad before Jesus comes again it's going to get really bad you know the thing that we never seemed to understand when I was growing up was that it's already bad When Jesus talks about a time of great persecution for Christians, you understand? Since he uttered those words, there's never been a time on the planet when it wasn't bad for Christians. 
the men that Jesus is talking to in this very moment, every single one of them will die for his name. They will die for his name. And Christians have died for his name ever since. The strange thing, the, the exception, is the last 300 years on this continent, North America. We're the exception. In all of Christian history, ever since Jesus walked the earth, ever since he died and resurrected, ascended into heaven, you understand, ever since that moment, Christians have suffered for the name of Jesus, except here, except on our continent, North America, for about 300 years, we've been protected and sheltered. We've had tremendous religious freedom. So when we read verses like this, there'll be great persecution. We don't even understand what that could be. We act like that would be something new. It's not new. Lai, Lai Man Ping is a 22-year-old pastor in China who put together a meeting in a house with four other preachers, almost unheard of in communist China. You had five preachers in one place. It's house church. In China, when you say the word house church, what you mean is a gathering that is not sanctioned by the government. And the government sanctions very, very few Christian meetings. So this is a secret meeting. But Christians came. There was a big crowd in that place. Five preachers all together. Lion, man, ping, the, the pastor and four other evangelists who had come. They're having a great night of, of preaching and praying and praising God together until the officers came. I'm not telling you about something that happened a long time ago. I'm talking about something that happened recently. The police came into that room. And they took clubs and, and beat the preachers in front of the congregation. No one was allowed to leave. They just beat them mercilessly and bloody. Pastor Lyman Ping and all four evangelists were just beaten in front of the congregation. And then the officers lined up the congregation members and, and forced them to beat the preachers or be beaten themselves. So for some time, the congregation beat the preachers. And then everyone was forced to leave. Lai Man Ping, the 22-year-old pastor, had been beaten nearly to death that night. And so he hobbled, and then he crawled. But he died in the road before he reached his house. And Jesus said that would happen. Jesus said that that would happen, and it wouldn't necessarily be the end. That's just the sort of thing that's going to happen in the world. It's never happened to us. But we're the exception to this. You understand, Christians all over the world, they suffer in places like Sudan, in places like Iran right now. There are pastors in jail in Iran, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in Egypt. You understand? 
in, in Nigeria, places all over the world, Christians die to do what we take for granted. Just to come to church and worship and praise and speak the name of Jesus, they die to do that. Before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You'll be dragged in the synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you're my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Isn't that amazing? Because if that sort of happened to me, I would think, oh, surely this is the end. Surely this is the sign that the end has come. And the truth is that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. Every time something horrible happens, it's not necessarily a sign that the end is near. It might be near. We might not make it to Friday. I promise you there's a part of me that wishes we wouldn't make it till Friday. I would love for Jesus just to come, just to come and, and make right everything that's wrong in the world. But, but I don't assume that he will. He could. I, I pray that he will, but, but I can't assume that he will. Every time there's a bomb dropped, every time there's a school shooting, do you understand? It's not necessarily a, a sign that the, that the coming is, is, is immediate. Not necessarily so. But it is an opportunity, and this is what Jesus says. It is an opportunity for the gospel. Every time there's a war, every time there's persecution, every time there's evil raising its head, that's an opportunity for the gospel. That's what Jesus says. It's a chance to tell people about me. That's what Jesus says. It's not time to sell your house and go live on a mountain somewhere and watch the clouds. It's not time to publish another book telling people that you've calculated the days and the date. Do you understand? It's an opportunity for the gospel. It's a chance to tell people about Jesus. Do you understand that? Because that's what Jesus says. Oh, it's going to get bad. It's going to get dark. And, and the darkness is going to be overwhelming. And it's going to get darker and darker and darker on this world. That's what Jesus says. But you understand, the darker the night, the brighter shines the light. The, the brighter shines the light. And as the world continues to spin out of control, as evil continues to seem to have victory in place after place, you understand that's an opportunity for the gospel. And you and I are entrusted to preach it. We preach it. And the gospel includes the, the great and wonderful promise that he's coming again. We don't know when. We don't know how. We just know that it's true. He comes. And until he comes, it's an opportunity for the gospel. Preach it. Preach it. Jesus says you're going to see these things happen. Don't worry. Don't worry. Man, I hear stories of persecution. I, I imagine that. How can I not worry? How can I not be disturbed by that? What would we do? Just don't worry, Jesus. Just don't worry. In that moment, I'll be there with you. This past week, we saw horrible evil in Connecticut, an impossible school shooting. 21st graders. But did you hear about Vicki Soto? She was their teacher. She's a Christian. She put her body in front of her students. 
She died courageously. She died, died boldly. She died in love. I don't know if you could have possibly looked at that little, short, cute first grade teacher and imagined she had that in her. But when the moment came, Christ was there for her. Stand. We can talk about how dark it is in the world, but I'm telling you, the darker the darkness is, the brighter shines the light. There will be Christians there standing boldly in the name of Christ, in his love, in the courage he brings. You understand? Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever hell wants to throw toward us, no matter what hell gets raised in this world, you understand? It's not going to defeat us. The gates of hell cannot prevail against God's people. It's going to get bad. You're going to see all kinds of bad. Earthquakes and weird things happening. That's what Jesus said. One of these days, it's going to be the end. One of these days, it's going to be the end. And Jesus is going to step out on the clouds and say, enough. One of these days, he's going to come. We don't know when. We're not really going to know when. So what does that mean? It means we just live for him. And we love him. And we love the world that Jesus died to save. We love the world too. And we take his name to as many places as we possibly can. And when evil raises its head, we stand there in the name of Christ and we don't ever back down. And if it costs us our very lives, understand my life is nothing. The gospel is everything. My life is nothing. If I lose my life in this earth, you understand it doesn't matter because everything in this world is passing away already, including this body. There's nothing about this body that I should fight to preserve, you understand? It's all passing away. I'm going to win my soul, Jesus says, in his name. We're just going to live and we're going to work for him and we're going to trust him. And we're going to thank him for the good days. And we're going to stand in solidarity with Christians around the world who suffer greatly for his name. Don't understand why them and not us, but we're going to remember them and stand with them. And we're going to continue to wait for Jesus to come. He's going to come again. Honestly, we don't know a whole lot about the ancient church and the way they worshipped. But we know one prayer. We know one prayer because it still endures. It's one of the most ancient prayers of the followers of Christ. And maybe one of the reasons we still have it is because it's one word. It's a one word prayer. And the word is Maranatha. Maranatha. You know what it means? Come quickly. Come quickly. Followers of Jesus from the very beginning have cried out to him and just begged him to come quickly. Because when he comes, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be good. Jesus comes to make right everything that is wrong with the world. Jesus comes 
once and for all to punish evildoers, once and for all to reward the righteous and punish the wicked, once and for all to restore everything, the harmony, the beauty, the peace. You understand? He's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. This is what he promises. That's why the ancient Christians, when they really understood what the end was about, they just simply cried out, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. Understand, he's coming, sure as the world, he's coming. We won't necessarily know when, but you sure better be ready to meet him. Expect him, wait for him, thank him for his mercy and his patience with the world. But when you start seeing these things happen, Jesus said, all of these things are reminders that this world is not going to continue like this. He's going to come. So when you see these things begin to unravel and come unglued, Jesus says, you just stand up, lift up your head, because your salvation is near. Our salvation is near. Oh, Lord Jesus, this world that you have made, fallen as it is, it cannot continue like this. We understand, Lord, that nothing, nothing in this material world is going to last forever. Nothing. And it was never meant to. The only thing that is forever, Lord, are the things of eternity. The only thing that lasts forever is the gospel and our souls. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to loosen our grip, to, to fall out of love with the world and to fall in love with you, Jesus, and the promise of your coming. Lord Jesus, forgive us for forgetting to watch the sky. Continue, Lord, for forgetting that your promise is to come, that you want us to work and be ready and watching, Lord, but at the same time to remain faithful to our mission, to our purpose. Lord, I pray that you would bless the world in this coming week. Those, Lord, who wonder, those, Lord, who will see Friday come and wonder if the ancient Mayans knew something, Lord. Jesus, I pray that even that day will be an opportunity for the gospel. Lord, as Connecticut parents and churches will gather all week long to bury the smallest of children in the littlest of caskets, Lord Jesus, I pray that there will be an opportunity for the gospel. And Lord Jesus, as governments and nations continue to try to destroy the church and to stamp out the advance of the gospel, Lord, I pray that the blood of every fallen martyr will continue, Lord, only to advance and create opportunities for the gospel. Lord Jesus, this world is nothing. It's passing away. Our lives are, are nothing. There's nothing, Lord, about me that matters. Only the gospel matters. So help us, Lord, to preach it and live it and believe it until you come. And so, Lord, we pray, come quickly. Come quickly. We pray these things 
in the name of Jesus, but for the sake of the world. Amen.